We live in a world divided over and over and over again. Uh, People are divided by different ethnicities and sexes, beliefs and social status, politics. Uh, Many of us are tired of the divisions and being divided. Maybe even all of us are. Uh, Politicians assure us that they can bring different and disparate groups of people together. But the promises seem to go unfulfilled, don't they? Who, Who really can bring peace? Who who really can bring an end to old divisions? Who really can rule over all kinds of people in love? Only the Lord Jesus. Only Jesus is Lord of all. This is what we're reminded of together in God's word this morning. Jesus is Lord of all. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open your Bibles and turn in them to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be looking at all of Acts chapter 10 together this morning. If you are using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 918. And as you turn there, we should remember what the book of Acts chronicles. The the book of Acts chronicles the ongoing ministry of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ through his disciples by the power of his Holy Spirit. In in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. That's the agenda that Jesus sets forth in the book of Acts that his disciples are going to follow as they carry his good news to the ends of the earth. And through our study, we have seen uh, Jesus' disciples proclaim good news in Jerusalem and in Samaria, in the desert, in this place called Azotus, and on to Caesarea. And in the course of the gospel's advance, we have seen God save all kinds of people. Well, this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 10 together, we see Jesus' lordship once again displayed as a group of Gentiles in Caesarea are saved and included in the kingdom of God. And these are the beginnings of the conversions of people who were strangers and foreigners and far off from the promises of God. A Gentile is really a rather kind of generic term. If you don't know, it's, it's simply someone who is, is not a Jew. So Gentiles make up everybody else in the world. And what we see in Acts 10 is the blessings of Abraham come to the nations, come to Gentiles. We, in fact, exist as a church today, a mostly Gentile church, mind you, because the good news about Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, was received with joy by Gentiles, and then the gospel kept going out. What Acts 10 makes plain is that Jesus is not merely Savior and Lord of Jewish peoples, but He is Savior and Lord of all kinds of peoples. And, and if you're looking for a single sentence to summarize the thrust of Acts chapter 10, here it is, Jesus is Lord of all. That's the simple message of Acts chapter 10. Jesus is Lord of all. And the question that this text confronts you with this morning is that if Jesus is Lord of all, is He your Lord? That's the question that you need to face from God's Word. God's Word is kind of sticking its finger in your chest this morning and saying, is Jesus your Lord? Now, while the chapter concludes, it kind of escalates to this point where a mass of Gentiles believe in the Lord Jesus and are received into His kingdom, it begins with a single man, Cornelius. God, he prepares Cornelius for the reception of the gospel. And then he prepares Peter to bring the gospel. And then he pairs them or brings them together. And then the chapter, as I said, it concludes with Jesus' lordship over all being announced and proclaimed. So if you're taking notes this morning, 
our outline is going to follow really the trajectory of the text. Four simple points. God prepares Cornelius. God prepares Peter. God pairs them together. And God proclaims Jesus' lordship overall. Let's begin with our first point where we see that God prepares Cornelius. Follow along now as I read Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Well, in these verses, we meet a man. We hear a message from an angel. We meet a man, Cornelius. We hear a message from an angel. And we see a mission get underway. A mission to go and collect Peter and bring them to Caesarea. And all of this is preparation for Cornelius and really a wider group of Gentiles being received into God's kingdom under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's consider first this man that we meet. Do you, do you see him mentioned there? Do you know how he's described? Well, he's a, he's a Roman centurion and he's a God-fearer. Just think about those two things for a moment. You know, ordinarily, we would think of, of a Roman being dedicated to the, the pantheon of gods of the, the, the Roman nation. But no, we're told that Cornelius... He's at least begun to question that and begun to consider the claims of the God of Israel. He's a, a God-fearer. And this term is uh, used often in the New Testament to refer to um, somebody who's a Gentile who's, who's thinking about the claims and perhaps submitting their lives in some ways to the claims of the, the God of Israel. They're, they're taking up some of the Jewish practices, but not all. He's a Roman centurion. He's, he's devout, but he's lost. He, he's devout. He's committed to this. But he does not know the Lord Jesus. And that is why this angel speaks to him and is telling him, that you need to go get Peter. As we'll learn in Acts chapter 11, uh, this angel tells Cornelius that Peter has a message by which you and your whole household will be saved. So this message is, is going to be important to Cornelius. But he's devout and yet he's lost. We should be clear, he's, he's going to hell because he's not heard the name of Jesus proclaimed. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 has told us that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. And so everybody who is to be saved needs to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. That's why Peter needs to come to Cornelius. He's, he's devoted, he's devout, he, he feared God, but does not have full light about Jesus Christ. He's generous and he prays continually to God. Now, though... Though Cornelius is lost, though he's not yet saved, clearly the Lord is seeking him. And he is seeking the Lord in a sense, isn't he? He's, he's praying continuously. And, 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 and though he's lost, there, these descriptions that strike me, I, I wonder, should we as Christians be 
be pressed into thinking about is, is, is my testimony, my life testimony, is it similar to that of Cornelius? Could I be considered as being devout and devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would people around me know that? The people around Cornelius know that. And these men who are sent, they're going to proclaim his, his good character. Is, is our testimony known as being one who's, who's generous because we know that God and Jesus Christ has been generous to us? And do we, do we pray continuously? I mean, after all, it's a New Testament command, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Uh, pray without ceasing. Can we be said to be those who are, are praying without ceasing? If, if you need to, to grow in your prayer life, which I suspect uh, many of us, most of us, maybe all of us do, uh, one of the ways in which you grow in the practice of praying is to practice praying. So join us tonight. We're going to pray tonight. Uh, hopefully that will encourage your heart to pray more regularly to the Lord. Uh, Cornelius is, is a surprising man. He's a man of consequence, right? He, he's a leader of this Italian cohort. It's a, kind of a special detachment uh, within the, the army. And so people serve him. He, he, he has servants as well. This is not an insignificant man. And... He, he seems to lead his household well, doesn't he? He, he calls all of his household to, to fear God as well. Uh, may, may the men of this congregation be said to those who lead their households into the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's who this man is. He's, he's lost, but sincere. Friend, you can be sincere and still be lost. You must know Jesus. You must know Him as your Lord. Well, God is preparing Peter... He, uh, sorry, Cornelius. He, he sends an angel to him with a message. And the, the message is quite simple, isn't it? Go and get Peter. Go and get Peter. He tells him where he is, where he's to be found, and that he should go and get him and bring him back here. And he, he sends these, these men on. They go on this, this mission, several of them. Um, this angel, he sends two of his servants and this devout soldier. Maybe uh, these, these men as well are, are God-fearers too. Maybe they're interested in what God is doing. This is a striking message. And they must have trusted Cornelius too, to a certain extent, right? Because how often do you trust somebody who appears to you and says, you know, I just had this, this word from an angel, and he told me uh, that I need to go and get this man. That's a little odd, isn't it? Right? If somebody came up to you and said, I've, I've heard this word from an angel now, I need you to do this for me, I might be a little startled and ask some questions. We, we need to remember that what we're reading here is something that's unique in redemptive history. God does not... He does not always work by angels. Yes, they're all over the Bible. Uh, but he, he actually means to work through means and men. So this angel, he, he could have proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to Cornelius. And Cornelius could have been saved. But that's not how God has chosen to work. He's chosen to work through men. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and preachers need to be sent. And so these men, they're sent on this mission to collect Peter. Let's recognize that, that God is pleased to use men and women to make his name known. So Christian, we are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God makes his appeal through us. You have been sent on a mission too. Go boldly, joyfully, happily. You carry good news concerning the risen Savior. Well, that's this man, this message, uh, and the mission that they've been sent on. All of this is preparation for the reception of the gospel that we're going to see really at the end of the chapter. Well, while God prepares Cornelius, he also prepares Peter. Let's turn then and consider our second point. God prepares Peter. Follow along now as I read uh, Acts chapter 10 verses 9 to 16. Acts chapter 10 verses 9 to 16. The next day, 
as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. There's something wonderful about Peter, uh, something so authentic about him, something that I think that we as Christians can connect with. We, we see here he's, he, he's up on this housetop and he's praying and he becomes hungry. I mean, how often are you in the midst of praying and you become hungry? And Peter is of a very reasonable man, right? Well, what do you do about hunger? You solve it. So he calls down to some servants and says, hey, I'm hungry. Would you, would you make some food? Uh, Peter's so much like us. We're so much like Peter, isn't it? But then he, he goes back to praying and the Lord seizes upon uh, this very natural experience for Peter to communicate a message to him. Uh, Peter, we, we know he's been a faithful preacher of God's gospel. In, in Acts chapter 2, he was He's the, the great preacher on the day of Pentecost. And, and really, what we're going to see here at the end of Acts chapter 10 is the, the Gentile version of Pentecost. He's going to be the, uh, the great preacher of the second Pentecost, as it were. But, but here it is. The Lord seizes upon this hunger, this natural craving from Peter to teach Peter a lesson about the kinds of people that God is pleased to save. And it, it's interesting that Peter has to be taught this lesson three times, isn't it? You notice that there at the end of verse 16, this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. The Lord has to communicate this to Peter over and over and over again. And, and again, here we can identify with Peter, can't we? Sometimes the Lord has to teach us lessons over and over and over again. And, but this repetition, it not only shows Peter's uncertainty and confusion, but it also shows God's certainty and clarity about what he was planning and purposing to do. And, and, it, and it all centers around this vision, really. What, what's happening here? Peter sees this blanket, this picnic blanket, some have called it, with a bunch of animals in it, a bunch of different kinds of animals in it, and Peter gets this command to rise and go and eat, and Peter, he immediately objects. Because in that blanket, in that sheet, are, are, are unclean animals. Peter's objection, it stems from uh, what's called the holiness code in the book of Leviticus where this section in the book of Leviticus details all these things that are clean and unclean, some of which are, are, are food items, so that the people of Israel were allowed to eat some things which were clean and some things which were unclean. And Peter's saying, no, I, I can't do that, Lord. I can't eat these unclean things. I know what your, your law says. What, what Peter's not recognizing as well is that there, there's a deeper truth. This clean and unclean dichotomy that is ensconced in the Old Testament law, it's meant to teach the people of Israel a lesson. It's meant to teach them that before the perfectly righteous, pure, and holy God, they actually are unclean and need to be made clean. There's a, a spiritual lesson in the law as well. They can be defiled. In fact, they are defiled. And that's why they need sacrifices to be cleansed in God's sight. Peter's forgetting that in a certain sense, though he may not have eaten unclean foods, he himself is unclean without having been saved by Jesus Christ. 
So that's Peter's objection. He doesn't want to be guilty of eating these unclean foods. And in fact, one consequence of the delineation of foods that, that, that Jews could eat is it would set them off and distinguish them from the surrounding nations. So that they could eat, pork, uh, they couldn't eat pork, for example. Gentiles could. And so that, that would divide their meals, as it were. They would have a, a distinction and a, a difference between them. And God's people are to be set apart. They're to be holy unto the Lord. But what, what God is saying to Peter is, Peter, I've, I've dissolved. I've broken down that barrier in Jesus Christ. What, what was it that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2? He, he said that Christ has torn down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That's part of the lesson that God is teaching Peter here. He's preparing Peter. that No, Peter, you have to go and preach to these people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ who are strangers and far off, because I mean for them to be my people. That's part of what God is teaching Peter and preparing Peter for. In fact, God says, I don't, what God has made clean. God has made the preaching of the gospel to Gentiles acceptable. Don't call them unclean. And brothers and sisters, this has implications for us as a church. There's no group of people on this earth which we can look at and say, they're unclean. We can't minister to them. We can't do that. We freely share the gospel with all. We make His good news known to people from every tongue and tribe and nation, every situation in life. Because Jesus can make them clean. God accepts them in. He's pleased to do that. Don't call common or unclean what God has made clean. And in fact, Peter, not only is he forgetting the teaching of the law, right, that the spiritual implications that they are unclean in God's sight, apart from sacrifice and the shedding of blood and really being saved by Jesus Christ. Peter's actually also forgetting Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 7, where he, he teaches, and Mark notes that in Jesus' teaching, in the course of Jesus' teaching, what he did was actually he declared all foods clean. So, yes, one implication of this text is that we are free to eat bacon. That's wonderful, it's delicious. But, but that's not the main aim of the text. The main aim of the text is, is focused on people. There are people who need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're Gentiles, Peter. Go and get them. And Peter, he's clearly troubled and confused by all of this. Um, and, and that carries on. Uh, but the Lord is going to answer that as well. So, so not only does he address him three times trying to put this vision and the consequences of it in his head, the categories of it. He's preparing Peter for this mission. And then there's a knock at the door. So Peter is now going to be paired together with Gentiles. He's going to be paired together with Gentiles and eventually with Cornelius. So this is the, the third point that we want to think about. That God pairs them together. And, and as we begin to kind of step into this, verses 17 to, to 33, let, let me just remind you of this. Uh, in the background, right, is this lesson that Peter has received. The, the lesson that don't call unclean what God has made clean. We, we each need to remember the, the spiritual lesson of the law and know that that's true of us too. Now, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you feel that weight of God's word, that you are unclean. You, you think about your sins, the, the catalog of them. You think, I can't associate with God's people I don't want to be near them because I, I, I feel spiritually dirty in my heart. Friend, there is no sin that you have committed that Jesus cannot cleanse. Yes, you are dirty in heart and soul. We all, the scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus made purification for sin by his death on the cross. That he's dealt with that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, there is no sin that you have committed that will make you so dirty that Jesus cannot cleanse you. So friend, come to Jesus. He can make you clean. He can and He will. Come to Him and trust in Him through His life, death, and resurrection. Now, these unclean men, they turn up at this door. And Peter is going to be forced to act on this vision as God pairs them together. Take a look. Pick up reading in verses 17 to uh, 33. 17 to 33. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Well, this is really a fascinating section. God brings uh, Peter together with these Gentiles in the same household. And then he brings Peter to Cornelius' household. There's, there are a series of, of introductions here, aren't there? But at every step of the way, especially early on in this particular section, we see that it's God who's really bringing them together. As, as Peter's perplexed, right, he is told, these men are coming for you. Uh, and then these men turn up and they say, an angel told us. So God clearly pairs them together. So they recognize, yes, this is the work of God in, in bringing us together and pairing us together. 
Uh, there's, there's, there's no mistake about it. And, and, and notice the, the, the importance of it as well. They, they, they are earnest. They are eager to see and meet Peter. And Peter brings them into this household. So he is, in that very act, in bringing them in, he's beginning to act on this vision that he received. Right? He, he wouldn't, or he shouldn't, if he was abiding by those Old Testament Jewish laws and customs, be in that same household. In fact, he, he says as much, almost kind of, uh, not very tactfully as he enters into the household. Did you see that over there in verse 28? You yourselves know how unlawful it is for you to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. That's a great foot to start off on, right? Peter coming into this household. You know, we really shouldn't actually be getting together like this, but God told me to, so we're, we're going to. Um, it, it's, it's somewhat awkward, but, but I, I love how they're, they're being brought together. And, and, and notice, notice Cornelius's anticipation. So, so they, they're brought together. They have this fellowship in this household. So Peter's beginning to act on this vision. But then we see there in verse 24 that Cornelius, he's, he's thought about it, right? If I send my guys to go get Peter and they collect him, that, that's how long that journey takes. And then I know that the journey back is going to take this much longer. So I should expect them on this day. We see Peter, uh, sorry, Cor, uh, Cornelius there. He's, he's expecting Peter and these guys to turn up at his household. And do you notice what he does there? Uh, he, he, he's expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. Why would you do that? Why would you call together your relatives and close friends? If you were to skip over to just chapter 11, real quick, if you take a look at, um, at verses 12 and 13, you'll see why. Uh, 12, 13, and 14, really. And the Spirit told me to go with them, go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. So now we know there are company of six with Peter, right? And entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. So he, he, here's this. We didn't get this implication actually in the initial vision from the angel, but, but now we're learning that Cornelius knows Peter is going to proclaim to him a message by which he and his whole household are saved. That's why Cornelius is so expectant and anticipating this arrival from Peter. But he brings together not only his whole household, but did you see? He brought together close friends. I mean, why do you get people together? Maybe you get people together for a big game, right? To watch at your place and enjoy that moment together. Uh, you, you get people together for your wedding, for, for a graduation, maybe for the start of a new business, a, a groundbreaking on a new building, for, for big occasions, big events, you get people together. What bigger event could there be than the proclamation that Jesus is the Savior of all peoples, and through Him you may have forgiveness of sins? And brothers and sisters, there is no bigger event in your calendar than every Lord's Day. Where the king of heaven and earth says, I offer you peace in the name of my son. Shouldn't we gather our friends and neighbors and relatives and co-workers to hear the proclamation of peace from the risen and reigning king? There, there's no greater event, not a, a swim meet or a soccer game or a piano recital. There's, there's no greater event than this one each week where we hear Christ proclaimed. And, and notice, notice what, how Cornelius is thinking about this. You see there in verse 33, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is what, this is a description of church, brothers and sisters. 
That's what we are here to hear from our God. And that's the reason it's so important that pastors and preachers stick to the text. That we preach and proclaim only what God has commanded. Not our, our greatest ideas or, or life tips that we think will help you get through the week. That's not the message you need to hear. You need to hear this message. That the King, the Lord Jesus, has come to save sinners. Preachers and pastors need to stick to the text. And we need to be conscious about this. About our gathering. That when we, we walk through these doors and we come into this room, we ought to have joyful fellowship with one another. And we, we also ought to remember that we are here to hear from our God. And what a great privilege that is, that He's willing to speak to us week in and week out as we open His Word and we read together and study together. It's a joyful honor to hear our great King speak. That's what's going to happen. That's what Cornelius recognizes. That's what he's anticipating and expecting. And we should have that same kind of expectation and anticipation when we gather together with God's people. Cornelius, as you saw, he's... he's He's relaying his experience to, to Peter. And he's, he's recognizing this is from the Lord. But, but rewind a little bit, right? When Peter walks into the household, what, what happens? Cornelius, he falls down and he worships him. And, and I love Peter's response. Peter lifts him up. He gets physical with him, doesn't he? Uh, and he says, stand up, I too am a man. I too am a man. Now, this goes far beyond kind of applications of the Roman Catholic Church's worship of the Pope, right? We, their applications for us as a church, your pastors, me and Dennis and Jed and Lord willing, William, we too are men. We, we are not to be worshipped. Lord willing, we will help you along in your life and your walk with the Lord. But we too are men. We're not to be worshipped. We are sinners. And yes, we are saints. This is true too for, for kind of broader evangelicals as well with kind of there's a celebrity pastor culture out there. And, and I think that many of those brothers are worthy of imitation and honor and, and to, to give our ears to listen. But, but we can't worship them either. We, we can't think of them as being infallible. They're, they're not. They're fallible men, like your elders are here. So we should be cautious and careful not to worship men, to be careful that our esteem is, 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 is rightly measured to them, recognizing that God is the one and the only one who's worthy of worship. Well, Peter, as you see here as well, he's starting to get the meaning of the vision, doesn't he? He, he sees that God has made plain uh, that he should speak and preach to them. And he, and he asks, why, why are we here? Why are we here? And the goal is to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gets this invitation from Cornelius to preach. So let's take a look at this sermon that Peter preaches. And, and through it, what we're seeing, this is point number four. What we're seeing is that God is proclaiming Jesus' lordship over all. As we, as we read these verses, verses 34 to 48, 34 to the end of the chapter, one of the things we're going to see is that Jesus' lordship is proclaimed really in, in three distinct ways. Through the Gentiles hearing the message of Jesus Christ. They hear substantially the very same message that Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. So we see Jesus' lordship uh, proclaimed through the Gentiles hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, we see it through their reception of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we see it through their inclusion in the church, through the sign 
of baptism. See if you can see Jesus' Lordship proclaimed not only through Peter's words, but also through those actions as well. Follow along now as I read verses 34 to 48. 34 to 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God, who fears Him, and does what is right, is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Him, and we are witnesses of all that He did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised Him on the third day and made Him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Well, we, we've seen God prepare Cornelius and Peter. We've seen God pair them up, bring them together. And now is kind of the moment we've, we've all been waiting for. Peter proclaims the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit falls, and these Gentiles, they are received into the church. Notice how Peter begins his, his introduction. God shows no partiality. Right? God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Who may receive the good news of Jesus Christ. All may receive the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, all must believe the good news of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Jesus, Peter says, is, is Lord of all. He, he's willing to receive you. This is the announcement that Peter is making to them. And notice, he also keys in on the, the historicity of Jesus' life. Remember, as we, we thought about in our series on the Apostles' Creed, our Christian faith is a historic faith based upon real events and real people that happened in history. He, he announces these events that have happened in Jesus' life, his, his baptism, the, the works that he did, his anointing with power by the Holy Spirit. And that they were witnesses. They, they saw all these things. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' life, his words and his works. Yes, God was with him. And Peter notes, here he gets into the, the heart of the gospel. What is the, the message of good news about Jesus Christ? He notes that they, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now those hearers, those, those Gentiles, a Roman centurion, right? And they around, they would have known that it was not only 
the Jews who were calling for Jesus' death, but also the Gentiles, the Romans, who allowed it and authorized it to take place. So, so you were a part of that, Cornelius, in your, your household. Your, your people were a part of this. And they, they hung Jesus on a tree. And that language is particular and precise. It, it calls to mind the, the lessons of the Old Testament. Where cursed is any man who is hung on a tree. What, what Peter is proclaiming in that language, this is really a summarized uh, version, shortened version of Peter's sermon. We expect he explained these things. When Jesus was hung on a tree, he was cursed by God. He bore God's wrath against the sins of his people on the cross. He took their punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus was paid our wages in his death on the cross. So Peter is announcing that Jesus was cursed by God. By his hanging on a tree. His crucifixion on the cross. But that wasn't all that took place. No, on the third day, God raised him up and made him to appear. He says, not to all the people, but to those who are chosen as God as, as witnesses. And Peter even underscores the reality of Jesus' resurrection by saying, look, we ate and drank with him. Right? That's what real living human beings do. We, we eat and drink. We, we, we must eat and drink in order to live. Peter is underscoring this Jesus. He was crucified for your sins and he was raised for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and that's what he says there at the end, isn't it? He, that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Friend, have you, have you believed Peter's message about Jesus? That Jesus lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I have not lived. That he loved sinners like us. And that he laid down his life on the cross, bearing the punishment for their sins. And... That he was lifted up from the grave on the third day. Friend, have you believed this message about Jesus and received the forgiveness of your sins? Have you turned to him and trusted in him? Friend, would you turn away and believe that Jesus can make you clean by the shedding of his blood? Because he's died for you, he can receive you. Because he's died for you and been raised, he can pardon you. And, and notice, he is the judge of the living and the dead. Friend, if, if you reject Him, He will reject you on the last day. God has handed over the judgment to His Son. And on the last day, He will return and execute that judgment. And if you reject Him, He will reject you. And it will be an eternal rejection. An eternal rejection in hell. Under which you will face self-conscious torment for all eternity. The eternal wrath of God. Either Jesus can bear that wrath for you because He was hung on the tree for you, or you will bear it. But friend, do not reject Jesus. Receive Him and receive the forgiveness of sins because on that last day when He returns, if you receive Him, He will receive you into His kingdom because you've been accepted as righteous in His sight. Because you trust not in yourself, not in your works, not in your devotion, not in your generosity, but in Him and all that He has done for sinners like us. Oh, friend, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus today and have the forgiveness of sins. Believe like these Gentiles do. Believe this message about Jesus. You need to be saved, just as they did. Jesus receives all kinds of people, even the, file, the, 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 foulest, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives that great... Him says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we notice here that there is visible evidence 
of the Gentiles' belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Holy Spirit falls upon them. He impresses upon them when they hear the Word. That's something we need to recognize. The Holy Spirit does not work apart from the Word. Rather, He works through the Word and the preaching of the Word. The Holy Spirit attends the message of the Word. That's how He's chosen to work. And these believers, they, well, the believers who came with Peter, they, they recognized, they circumcised these Jews, these six Jews that we learned from chapter 11. They recognized that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out because what God gave to them, this message about Jesus, He gave to the Gentiles this message about Jesus. What God gave to them at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit, He gives to them now as well, the pouring out of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in, in the book of Acts, we see these visible and, and incredible signs and gifts that are associated when the gospel makes a new advance. So, so right in, in Acts chapter 2, when the gospel is preached, thousands are saved and the Holy Spirit attends that there on the day of Pentecost. And then when the gospel advances to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, right, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out and there are signs and wonders there as well. And now here again, as, as the gospel comes to Caesarea and a, a large number of people accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out and they're speaking in tongues, showing that Jesus is their Lord too, just as He is the Lord of, of those in Samaria and those in Jerusalem as well. What, what's happening here is extraordinary. It, it's, it's unusual and praise God, wonderful. Uh, we, we probably shouldn't expect these kinds of things to be happening in, in our existence as the gospel has, has come to this area. What's happening in the book of Acts is as the gospel expands and Jesus conquers hearts in each new place, the Holy Spirit is testifying that yes, this is the true gospel and it is being truly received. And that's what's happening here. And that's being truly received, Peter recognizes and says, you know, these guys are Christians. We can clearly see it and that Jesus is Lord of all. We can even hear them and understand them like what was happening on the day of Pentecost. So can we really withhold baptism from them? And that is not just a, a rhetorical question. I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but it's really more than that. Who, who is the we? Do you see how Peter puts it there? Um, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Who's Peter talking to? He's talking to those six believers there with him. And I think that this is an indication that, that baptism is a, is, a, is a gift given, an ordinance given to Christ's church. But I don't think baptism should not be happening at Christian camps. It should be happening at Christian churches. Because in baptism, what we're doing is saying, yes, we're receiving you into the family of God. You're, you're putting on, really, the, the jersey for Jesus, as a friend of mine likes to say, because you're identifying with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And, and, and these six brothers are saying, yes, we see evidence of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should receive them into the Christian church. And if baptism is that initial rite of entrance into the church community, then the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate together this morning, is this ongoing rite of continuing expression and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we take the bread and as we drink the cup, what we're saying is, yes, I believe Jesus gave His body for me. And we're taking the dream. Yes, I believe that Jesus shed His blood for the complete forgiveness of all of my sins. These brothers and sisters are being incorporated into the church through their baptism. That is what is happening here. They're being included there. And notice that this inclusion, it goes further as well. You see there's, there's hospitality and fellowship 
Then, the passage ends this way in verse 48. Then they asked him to remain some days. Now, no doubt, Peter was continuing to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he had done. Right? Peter's continuing this discipleship, this explanation that they uh, ought to come under fully the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And here are practical ways in which you live and follow the Lord Jesus. But they're also under that same roof. Right? He's living out the, the message of that vision. These brothers are not unclean. They're clean in God's sight because they've been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is what we do with one another. We, we live together in fellowship with one another. These brothers, they stay together. They remain together. They have fellowship. And so they're truly included in the life of the church. I mean, we can gather here together and partake of these ordinances, and we ought, and they're good and right and righteous for us to partake of, to testify of our faith together. But also, as we leave this place and we go, our lives need to remain connected in fellowship. We need to, to remain with one another for some days. We need to have fellowship and grow that bond of affection with one another, even outside of these walls. We need to love and serve one another. And this is what I want us to think about as we conclude. This, this inclusion and our union with one another. You know, it strikes me uh, that, that Jesus... As he proclaims and teaches in John chapter 13, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How can we show all that Jesus is Lord of all? By our love for one another. We are people from different backgrounds and different testimonies. And praise God, he has brought us together. We can show our love for the Lord Jesus Christ through, through our union as we gather here together to hear God's word and to receive God's ordinances and in our, our fellowship with one another. As you think about Peter and Cornelius, uh, really they're, they're two, two very, very different men, aren't they? One a, a Jewish fisherman and one a Roman centurion of consequence. How is it that Two such men from two wildly different backgrounds can be brought together and united together. There's only one man who can do that, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who brings us together from different backgrounds because he's the Lord of all. And we show that he's the Lord of all by loving all of his people. So, so brothers and sisters, part of your, your challenge, right, is to love people who are not like you, who don't have the same background as you, as you who, who maybe... Have it, don't have the first same language as you, but yet who love the same Savior and Lord as you. May God give us the grace to proclaim that Jesus is Lord of all to all kinds of people. And may He give us the grace to love all kinds of people as well. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, let us show that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ by the love that we have for all of His people. Let's pray to that and down together. Let's pray together.